0: Welcome back to another episode of Oh, the Good Old Days, your time travel ticket to history's dirty little secrets. Hello, everyone. I'm Kinsey, and I'm Doritos Cool Ranch Old.
1: And I'm Ellie, and I'm a Wonderball old.
0: I want to apologize for the uh, nasliness from last week's episode. I've been dealing with a cold. It lasted like a month, but I think I'm better now. Not quite
1: sure, but I feel better. You sound better. You sound better. Good. Be sure yeah. <laughs> to find us online at O the God Pod. That's O H T H E G O D P O D on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and YouTube. And if you want to support us, we also have a Patreon with the same name. If
0: you're telling your friends to find us, make sure that they search for O the God. That's G dot O dot D dot on iTunes, Spotify, or your platform of choice. Make sure to include the dots, otherwise the FDA will succeed in hiding our podcast from you. Listeners, we are gathered here today to bid a heartfelt adieu to our beloved pizza, a culinary marvel that has unfailingly brought us together. Let's embrace this moment to stay connected in its remembrance. We invite you, our fellow pizza aficionados, to join us in this homage by subscribing to our channel. Your subscription is not just a click, but a tribute to the countless joyous moments we've shared over a slice of pizza. Share this eulogy with those who have relished this delightful journey with us and with anyone who understands the profound impact of food on our lives. If this ode to pizza resonates with you, we humbly ask for your support with a five-star review. Your endorsement will guide others to join us in reminiscing about the irreplaceable dining experience that pizza has given us. Pizza may have taken its final bow, but the memories and the legacy it leaves behind will forever be cherished in our hearts and our bellies.
1: Rest in pieces, preferably (laughs) (laughs) triangle-shaped.
0: It's time for our Latin word of the day, funus pizzae, the funeral of pizza. All right. He will be deeply missed. She has touched so many lives and we hope they will rest in peace. But now let's honor the legacy of pizza and let me set the scene.
1: Back in the good old days. So there's a Latin word for pizza? Yes, it's it's an
0: episode all about pizza. We're going to bury it.
1: No, I know. I'm just, I'm just surprised that there's a Latin term for pizza. I didn't realize pizza was around before Latin died. Pizza. I know. I'm just like, the. <laughs> I mean, the food <laughs> and that the term is so similar. It's just very surprising. Well,
0: it could be. I mean, pizza doesn't necessarily have to. It, it could be like just bread with cheese on it.
1: I know. But the fact that it's yeah. basically the same word and the fact that it's existed Latin has been n- not used for a very long, I mean, in a conversational sense, not used in a very long time. Well,
0: Google told me that's what it means.
1: <laughs> oh, I believe you. I'm just I'm just surprised. <laughs> so did they call it pizza though? Is the real is the question that I have. Like, was it were Romans like, let's go make some pizza? When it was just <laughs> when did that term originate?
0: Did they eat pizza and watch gladiators is what we're trying
1: to find out. <laughs> that's that's now that sounds like a good night.
0: <laughs> Our producer Anna actually just looked up that Romans produced flatbread. That had mm-hmm. cheese, honey, fruits, dates, figs, nuts, or vegetables on it. And it was like their version of pizza. But she failed miserably in finding out if they called it pizza or if they did not call it pizza. So once she gives us I have that said answer, failed
1: miserably, <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a miserable <laughs> fail. <laughs> we'll let you know once she gets back to us. But until then, I'm going to tell you all about 1973 and what a year it was. The Vietnam War was finally taking a breather, with troops packing up their gear and heading home. Meanwhile, over in the Middle East, the Yom Kippur War was just getting started. Egypt and Syria decided it was a good idea to surprise Israel on a holy day. That didn't work out for them. Back in the U.S., Tricky Dick and the Watergate scandal dominated the airwaves. And in a quiet corner, Xerox was busy cooking up Ethernet technology, unknowingly setting the stage for us to bombard your ear with our delightful chatter in the future. Speaking of awesome, let's talk tennis and girl power with Billie Jean King schooling Bobby Riggs on the court. It was more than just a game. It was a smashing statement for women everywhere, pun intended. And let's not skim over a monumental moment in psychiatry. 1973 was the year the American Psychiatric Association finally got with the times and removed homosexuality from its list of mental disorders in the DSM. Talk about a long overdue spring cleaning. And to cap it all off, The Exorcist hit the theaters, thrilling and terrifying audiences in equal measure. Because what's a chaotic year without a little demonic projectile thrown into the mix?
1: I prefer my projectiles to be pizza, which, by the way, our producer just told us that the oldest recorded usage of the word pizza is from a Latin text from the town of Aeta then still part of the Byzantine Empire. I don't know if I pronounced that right. In 997 AD. So the term pizza has been around for a very long time, at least about more than a thousand years.
0: Look at that. Learn something new every day. 997 AD. That was definitely after the gladiators so no gladiators and pizza
1: no just popes unfortunately which or bishops which is way less (laughs) fun (laughs) way way less fun (laughs) for some of us I I suppose it depends on I guess so yes
0: 1973 was a year full of chaos and newsworthy events so it's only natural that a uh, pizza funeral was buried literally and figuratively in the headlines but before we go back 50 years to this funeral, let's talk about the birthplace of pizza. Italy? Mamma mia, no. I'm talking about American pizza.
1: Michigan. Naturally. You're supposed to act surprised. That was me being surprised. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Michigan? Yeah, exactly. Not New York City? <laughs> All right. Full
0: discretion. I'm a Michigander at heart, and I've spent my teens there. Go Red Wings, Tigers, and even the Pistons who, for some reason, are still allowed in the NBA. I also have to give props to the Lions who made the playoffs for the first time since 1992 as of the recording of this episode. They're still in it to win it, Ah, but we'll see how well this ages by the time this releases. Anywho, whenever I meet someone from Michigan, we have a secret handshake. Okay, it's not really a handshake per se, but we do put our hands out and ask where the other person is from. Then we just point somewhere on our hand that shows where we came from. But it's a Michigan thing. You definitely wouldn't get it. It's because it looks like a mitten. Exactly. So you do get it. We're such a cool state. <laughs> but, but I digress. Detroit, Michigan, won a 2022 survey calling them the pizza capital of the U.S. In your face, New York and Chicago, you can have your bagels and hot dogs. Detroit is Motown and Pizza Town.
1: Who did they survey? (laughs) People. Was it an unbiased sample? (laughs) It was supposedly people all over the U.S. (laughs) I need to do some research. I'm I'm suspicious of this. The link is there. It's from an NPR survey. <laughs> They're the most biased of them all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> really, Detroit? coming for Fox News. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, plus, you know, Motor City is the reason your pizza arrives piping hot. Do you need to? Do you need to Google that, or do you believe me that about Detroit being the Motor City and Motown and all the other town names I've gave it? That tracks. Okay, cool, cool. Detroit not only has the highest per capita of independent pizzerias than any other major cities, but it also has its own pizza style. The Motown square fluffy dough crisp-edged pizza with a little bit of red sauce drizzled on top. When it comes to pizza, Detroit's a clear winner no matter how you slice it. Now, unfortunately, this episode isn't sponsored by Detroit. Although they should probably hire me for their PR department, but this is just my hometown pride speaking. And this isn't just one website's opinion, Ellie. <laughs> and this isn't just me to my home state's horn. Domino's started in 1960 in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Hungry Howies 73, Taylor. Jet's Pizza, 78, Sterling Heights. Even the first restaurant to serve pizza is the Cottage Inn in Ann Arbor. And we can't forget the ultimate in cheap pizzas. Little Caesars started in Garden City, Michigan in 1959 and grew into the behemoth it is today. Have you ever had a Little Caesars pizza?
1: Yeah, they're not
0: that good. I didn't say they were good. I said the ultimate in cheap (laughs) pizzas. You know, back when I used to eat gluten, when you had, like, 20 kids over, and you just wanted to give them pizza. I,
1: I would never have 20 kids over. Why were you having 20 kids over? You don't have any children. <laughs> well, I, I was the kid in this You're scenario. You're local witch <laughs> <laughs> inviting children over. <laughs> I, I, I was, I oh, you was were the, the kid. kid. Okay, okay, I okay. was the kid in this scenario. <laughs> Less creepy, that one. You should have led with that. <laughs> All right. I was the kid
0: in this scenario. <laughs> I did say the ultimate in cheap pizzas. I didn't say the best pizza ever. Uh, But you know what? Fun fact. Little Caesars franchise makes so much dough that the owners bought the Red Wings and the Tigers. That's both the uh, National Hockey League team and the Major League
1: Baseball team.
0: Wow. But I think I made my point with Michigan uh, being the home of American pizza. Do you agree? No. Uh,
1: I'm from New York. I got to stand my people. Alright, you know what? You Don't can shake your, your head. Yeah, I I'm, I'm shaking my head. We got
0: pizza, pizza's ours. Alright, so with all of that in mind, let me tell you the story of another Michigan pizza maker, Papa Fabrini. Elario, who went by uh, Mario, was an Italian Downgrade. immigrant
1: what? I said downgrade. Ilario is a fantastic name. Mario is basic. He chose it. He said I know, my name. I'm just saying he made, he, a, he made a poor choice.
0: Maybe he was tired of people mispronouncing his name and he said Mario is easier than Ilario. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, either way, he was an Italian immigrant who came to Michigan following his father's death in World War II. Like many immigrants, he assimilated into his new home. He joined the army and was stationed in San Diego. He fell in love with the sun-kissed shores and aspired to retire there. After deploying in Korea, uh, he came back to pursue his American dream, fancying San Diego's endless beaches and perfect surfing waves. But fate had other plans, and he ended up back in Detroit, where the only waves are the ones made by drunk sports fans, and (laughs) beaches are replaced by stretches of assembly line. That's so poetic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not exactly sunbathing weather, but you can still get a tan from the glow of the auto factories.
1: (laughs) I don't
0: know if that's a Dan. <laughs> Mario dove into the pizza business right in Detroit. I'm not getting it into the squabble of who popularized pizza delivery. Domino's say it was them, but Mario insists he was the pioneer in Detroit. He even boasted, quote, I got everyone mad in Detroit because I started delivering. Now, eventually, Mario sold his Detroit venture in the 60s and headed north to Alpena, starting another Detroit venture.
1: You know, until you bring this up, it's never crossed my mind how specific it is that pizza is something you expect to be deliverable and is always deliverable, but it's pretty much the only, nowadays with DoorDash and stuff, it's more common, but, but pizza is the thing that you get delivered, which is very interesting. I've never thought about how that's such a, a culture expectation. My family never
0: did that because they didn't want to pay for shipping or for yeah, delivery. Yeah, my, my family
1: didn't either. I think, actually, we live too far away probably to even get it if they wanted to, to be honest. <laughs>
0: yeah, but you're right. I never thought about it. I mean, you get Chinese food delivered, but I don't know if that's culturally
1: expected. Yeah, like, not all Chinese places do, but, like, I can't think of a single pizza joint that doesn't deliver. Yeah. Eventually,
0: Mario sold his Detroit venture in the 60s and headed north to Alpena, starting another pizza venture. With Alpina's population being a mere 1% of Detroit's uh, 1.67 million, Mario found himself with some extra time on his hands. So what's a pizza guy to do in the cold, frigid Michigan winters? (laughs) Freeze pizza, of course. Duh. Naturally. (laughs) He began selling these frozen pies to bars and restaurants, and lo and behold, he was such a hit that Heinz came knocking, eager to get in on the frozen pie action. By 1966, the Asenik factory, a quick 10-minute jaunt south of Alpina and a leisurely four-hour drive north of Detroit, was open for business. And thus began the era of the pizza topping assembly line. By the early 70s, the booming business employed 22 people and turned out 45,000 frozen pizzas a week.
1: Wow. it's a lot of pizza. How many pizzas per person is that?
0: But it's an assembly line. You don't ask that question. The assembly line, like, one person just sits there and, like, I know how
1: assembly lines work. I'm just saying if you
0: want to break it down. But it doesn't break down like that because our producer said the same thing, and I said, no, I'm not going to break it down. We are not mathing this. We're just going to accept the fact.
1: You're just upset because we had the same idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. You know what? Now that we know about Papa Fabrini's origin story, from immigrant to frozen pizza crusader, and just like every superhero tale, there's got to be a villain. In this case, American bureaucracy. It's 1973. In a nondescript government office, the stage was set for an encounter between our superhero and his arch nemesis. Mario... Known in culinary circles, in my head anyway, as the frozen crusader was summoned by none other than the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, a formidable entity in food regulation. As the frozen crusader stepped into the sterile fluorescent lit room, he faced a panel of stern-faced officials, their expressions as cold as his celebrated frozen pizzas. (laughs) The lead agent peered over her glasses at Mario. Mr. Fabrini, I don't know why she had a Russian accent right there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just thought villain and weren't right to Russian?
0: <laughs> Mr. Fabrini, our latest tests have uncovered a serious issue, she announced, her voice tinged with urgency. One of our laboratory mice died after ingesting your pizza. Preliminary findings suggest botulism. Ooh. <laughs> Mario's confident demeanor faltered. The word botulism hung in the air like burnt cheese on the roof of an oven. His mind raced. Botulism was a worst-case scenario for a food producer. The agent continued. This is a matter of public safety, Mr. Fabrini. Until we conduct a full investigation, we recommend you halt the distribution of your frozen pizzas. Mario, the frozen crusader, faced his greatest challenge yet. He realized the seriousness of the situation, not just for his business, but for the safety of his customers. I understand the gravity of this, Mario responded soberly. I assure you that the safety of my customers is my top priority. I will cooperate fully with your investigation. All right, you know what? That's probably not what happened. Okay, fine. It most likely did not happen this way, but my head is a very whimsical place to be. I believe it. And I shouldn't really be painting the uh, the FDA as a villain here. They they do mean well. But let's rewind to January of 1973. Here's what really happened. Over at the United Canning Facility in Ohio, and I want all my Michigan listeners to start the eye rolls because Ohio is always to blame. Whenever anything goes wrong in Michigan, Ohio sucks. Workers noticed some cans of mushroom getting a bit too plump. Now, Swollen cans can mean they were overstuffed or maybe left out in the heat, but more alarmingly, it could point to bacteria inside. And wouldn't you know it, a few mice were fed pizza and died. The FDA suspected Clostridium botulinum, nasty little buggers responsible for botulism. And this isn't just a tummy ache situation. We're talking serious muscle weakness, plummeting blood pressure, and possibly the Grim Reaper. Mario, the conscientious business owner, got the dreaded call from the FDA and said, quote, What if someone gets sick or dies from this? Without skipping a beat, he initiated a voluntary recall. He swiftly rang up his stores, yanking the pizzas off the shelves in four different states. Modern retelling state it was about 30,000, but the newspapers of the day claim about 44,000 pies were recalled. However, according to a legal case that I'll bring up later, it was precisely 29,188 pizzas because lawyers are really good at counting. Thanks to the cutthroat world of frozen pizza in the 70s, regaining that precious shelf space turned out to be mission impossible. He had to let his employees go and got his kids to fill in on the assembly line. He didn't have 22 kids though. He only had like a handful. I don't know how many, but definitely not 22. But Mario wasn't the type to just wave the white flag. He decided he wasn't going down without a fight. He'll try to drum up as much publicity as possible. Stuck with about 30,000 recalled pizzas, he decided to go all out with a bit of theatrics. He arranged a funeral with for his mushroom topped pies. This was no subdued affair. He rounded up his 22 former assembly line workers, a bunch of newsmen, Some high-profile Chamber of Commerce folks, a few bank presidents, and even the governor of Michigan himself. Wow. Adding to the spectacle, one local grocery store shut down for an hour so his employees could pay their respects at this unusual (laughs) funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine if your boss says, okay, you know what, we're going to all take lunch right now and go watch a bunch of pizzas get, you know, thrown into a hole? (laughs) What the newspapers do not mention, though, if there was four pizza-loving, human-sized turtles in
1: attendance? Mm, they might have been too busy fighting crime. <laughs> they didn't have time for pizza? I think they only eat New York pizza. Yeah. Uh,
0: maybe that's why they're no longer around, I see. I'm pretty sure they're still around. Not as much as they were before. They're forgotten. <laughs> Slander. <laughs> the, 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 the children of, I don't know, is it the Z? The, the Z generation? We're on A now, I think. Whatever generation we're on, they need more Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in their life. Everybody needs more. One can never have too much. Never, never. Gary Johnson offered his farm as a location for the somber event. The ceremony featured an 18 foot hole into which four dump trucks, one at a time, solemnly unloaded the frozen pizzas,
1: cellophane and all. That's great. Love that for the environment. It's the 70s. They didn't care. It's I was going to
0: say, it's the 70s. They didn't know the environment could be harmed. Maybe. They, they knew they didn't care any more than they care now. <laughs> we care slightly more now. Maybe the internet cares slightly more now.
1: Yes, there are louder voices about it now.
0: <laughs> but Louder doesn't mean that it's getting things done. But anyway, Governor William G. Milliken. Yes, his name was William G. Milliken journeyed over 100 miles out of his way to be there. He offered words of comfort to the mourners with a, quote, brief homily on courage in the face of tragedy. I tried really, really, really hard to find his speech. I even found a Michigan historian who also said he couldn't find his speech. So his speech is lost to history, which is very sad, because I want to know what words of courage he has as you bury pizza. Yeah. Meanwhile, as the doomed pizzas were laid to rest, Papa Fabrini's sales manager was busy baking fresh ones on site. Ty Troy, ever the salesman, said, quote, We've cooked pizzas out at the holes so they can eat fresh pizzas while the old ones are being buried. Now, one hesitant reporter, as you might expect, was a little bit skeptical about the safety of the fresh offerings. But Mario reassured him, he said, and this is an actual quote from Mario, Governor Milliken ate a piece, and he's still alive. <laughs> but I bet he's dead now. Red flag.
1: <laughs> he's probably dead now. <laughs> <laughs> probably for the pizza, not old age. <laughs> well,
0: he would be 120 if he was alive now. I think he was in the 60s or 70s back then. <laughs> and how old was Milliken in 1973? All right. Producer Anna, just looking it up funeral's grand finale, Mario the consummate showman laid two colorful flower garlands atop of the pizza grave. <laughs> Red gladioli symbolized the sauce, and white carnation stood in for the cheese. <laughs> but in a twist of fate, it turned out that the FDA's panic over botulism was a false alarm. The mice died of unrelated causes, and the pizzas were fine. What? All that spectacle was Pointless. Producer Anna just said the governor was 51 in 1973, so he's not alive now at 101. Because of the pizza. It killed him before
1: he could die of old age at 150.
0: (laughs) So what we need to do is ask every person who lived past 100 if they've ever eaten pizza. Is that what we're going to do? I think so. I think we have to. It's for humanity. Oh, my God. He was 97 years old when he died in 2019. (laughs) So young. Or maybe the pizza made him live longer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If any of our listeners are over 100 years old or, you know what, over 95 years old, please let us know how much pizza you've consumed in your life. I'm waiting for and the answer. And how answers. much you consume now. And how much you consume now. We need to know. Very important. Is pizza why you're still alive or dead? And if you're dead, tell us, please.
1: Yes. If you're listening to us dead, please let us know. <laughs> we'll interview you. Oh, for sure <laughs> hopefully other people can hear you not just us <laughs> it's all in our heads
0: <laughs> we make the news probably you know what producer anna's in our heads no one ever hears her <laughs> <laughs> she's, is producer anna in the room with you right now <laughs> she, she's not she's in her own room all right <laughs> but the mice had died of unrelated causes the pizzas were fine rendering all that spectacle pointless now Mario, always uh, with some very, very amazing lines, when he was asked about this unexpected outcome, he said, and again, a quote, I think it was indigestion. Maybe they did not like my pizza. They referring to the mice. I
1: bet they are lactose intolerant. Mice? Severely, yeah. Or the glutinati. Oh, it's been around for, since the 70s. I, I evidence, it was,
0: this is evidence. Maybe they've been around since... 997 A.D., and they invented pizza. That's
1: when they were created. That's... (gasps) (laughs) What a breakthrough. (laughs) This is all canon. All
0: right, for our curious listeners, I believe episode eight is all about the glutenati, so you have to go back to that. For our curious listeners and Ellie, you can also find a pizza, a a photo of... (laughs) You can... I'll find a photo of the whole Pizza Palooza on our sources page. Do you see that very bad black and white picture? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's definitely all the
1: definitely not 1080p.
0: <laughs> Despite the publicity stunt and exoneration, Mario's business sadly didn't bounce back. Yet, mm-hmm. he harbored no bitterness. Having lived under fascism, Nazism, and communism before immigrating to the U.S., he said he's been through worse. Yeah. when people heard his tale offers of help poured in one man proposed selling his stock as a way to keep papa fabrini's afloat another mentioned his congregation's prayers even a bank teller chimed in saying her priest was praying for
1: mario now that's when how i, I get first, my money <laughs> from thoughts bank and prayers. Prayers? no oh. thoughts and prayers <laughs> i was gonna say
0: from bank teller me too <laughs> unlike you i don't think thoughts and prayers get me anywhere
1: uh, you're not yeah. trying hard enough Yeah, yeah. But you know what?
0: My first thought when I read the even a bank teller, like, was she offering to rob her bank? But then I read the next part. I'm like, oh, no, no, she wasn't. (laughs) So all of these gestures of kindness led Mario to reflect, again, actual quote, there sure are a lot of nice people in the world. Very Italian. He also said, again, an actual quote, it sort of makes you goose pimples about America. Now, I'm really not trying to characterize or to to mimic his accent. Those literally were his exact words. Alatza and goose pimples. These genuine expressions really reflect Mario's heartfelt response to the kindness he experienced. Now, one newspaper even featured an article celebrating Mario's unique way with words. They called it, Goose Pimply About America. (laughs) This piece delved into Mario's journey from immigrant to small business owner, highlighting the challenges he faced, especially during recall. It spotlighted the community's heartwarming response in rallying to his aid. There was no mention of the funeral, though. The article echoed Mario's poignant phrase. It sort of makes you goose pimples about America. And it really just emphasized the significance of that phrase. It concluded with a thoughtful sentiment. The journalist said, quote, Getting goose pimply about America is a common expression among those who have suffered oppression in foreign lands. It is too bad that so many people born here find it difficult to share that experience. Now, I was not quite yet a teenager when my family immigrated, and I really can't recall ever using the phrase goose pimples about America. Because you're not its, a true American. Nah,
1: you haven't I, fully, you haven't, you haven't accepted the spirit of America into your soul.
0: That's what it is. It's mm-hmm. probably what it is.
1: That's what it is. If you want to immigrate and become a true American, you got to let it in.
0: And use phrases like goose pimples about America.
1: Yes. <laughs> Start working it into your vocabulary day to day. Try and use it at least once a day. I challenge you for the next week. At least once <laughs> a day. Report back to me next week. See how your spirit feels.
0: I think Americans need to also use that phrase.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, America's need to do a lot of things, I think.
0: <laughs> but you know what? I've met some wonderful people since I've been living in the States, and I can wholeheartedly say that I understand and resonate with Mario's sentiments, although not his strange verbiage.
1: I will say, I think goose pimples might... I've heard that a few times, usually from older folks, and I don't know if maybe it was a little more common of a term back then. Because I've heard it before in, like, that kind of context. Goose I pimples have, instead of goosebumps.
0: I've never heard of it. Hmm. But.
1: I've heard that too. Gooseflesh. Producer gonna said, yeah, I've heard gooseflesh as well.
0: Yes, I've heard yeah. gooseflesh. Goose pimples is brand new to me. This was literally the first time I've ever heard
1: it. I'm going to see if I can try and scrounge up where I've heard it before. I know I've heard it, like, from people. But I'm pretty sure there's a couple of books I've read where they use the term goose pimples as well. I'm curious. Maybe they were non-native English Writers. Okay. I actually think Harry Potter might use goose pimples at one point. There's a book I read when I was a kid that used the term goose pimples. That's the first time I heard it. So I'm wondering if it was Harry Potter because I read a lot of Harry Potter as a kid.
0: Producer Anna is telling us that it's a British term. If any dead British people are listening, please let us know if yes. that is in your phone vocabulary. In. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they would actually have to phone in because yeah. I don't know if they, could, if they have access to email. EMP? Is it EMP? Is that what email stands for? Electronic mail?
1: Pulses. Pulses. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yeah. Okay. My memory's not that terrible. (laughs) The
0: excitement excitement that Ellie just did (laughs) is because she's right. Goose pimply was used in Harry Potter. I've been around a lot of old people because I used to work in the library when I was in college lots and lots of old people. That's why I've, like, never, ever heard it. But I also didn't read Harry Potter. I preferred more murder in my book.
1: There's a lot, more. A lot of murder in Harry Potter.
0: Not enough bloody murder to my taste.
1: There's a lot of bloody murder and torture. Eh, you are I, underestimating eh, how dark that children's book is.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's got magic in it. It kind of loses me. I, I like my murder to be realistic. and okay. And not at, at all All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, back to Mario (laughs) Afterwards, Mario took on the canning company Those damn Ohioans And the supplier of their new canning machinery Blaming them for the botched cans He accused them of negligence and breach of warranty According to Mario's legal team The new fangled machines at United Canning Crammed the mushrooms into cans More densely than the old school hand-filling method
1: I can't have those machine-crammed mushrooms on my, my pizza. No, no, they gotta be hand—they hand. gotta be hand-plucked by a child. <laughs> Why a child? The good old American factory way. <laughs> I want to go back to our roots. No, hang on, not that far back. Just like a few decades back. All right. Cut so yeah, that. <laughs> between the two of us, you saying. <laughs>
0: I was just waiting on New York. All right. Well, this meant that the mushrooms needed a longer cooking time to kill any Clostridium uh, botulinum spores, a step that United Canning allegedly skipped. The jury and an appellate court agreed, um, and they handed Mario about $211,000. After his lawyers took their slice of the pie, he managed to keep the factory lights on until the early 80s. Despite the lack of botulism on his pizzas, some vendors were still a little too skittish to stock his products, and Mario was just never able to recover his market share. Hmm. He did see one dream through to the end. He retired in sun-drenched San Diego. His final curtain call came in February 2023 when he passed away at the ripe age of 91. But his pizza legacy lives on, so next time you're having a slice, raise it in honor of Mario and the memory of those 30,000 pies. That will never be savored.
1: Yeah, and I know. Just said both men who ate his pizza did live into their nineties, so, so it's a sign that pizza makes you die young. He didn't even make it to a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> it's tragic, honestly.
0: Are your grandparents living into their hundreds?
1: My grandfather is ninety-nine this year, and so young, still kicking. Yep. So Every young. time I ask him how he's doing, he's like, "Still around." Unfortunately. <laughs> He's real tired of being around. <laughs> but I hear
0: he gets like something signed by the president if he waits until he's 100. Mm. Like a letter from the president saying, congratulations, you've lived the whole century. Depending on
1: who the president is, <laughs> he may not be too happy about it. He's got some boomer feelings about politics. <laughs> he's not even a boomer. I think he's silent generation, probably. I think the silent generation was, I think he may be older than, than that. Oh. He was born in the 20s.
0: Oh, I don't know. I wasn't around back then.
1: <laughs> you sure?
0: <laughs> some days, some days. When I yell at the kids to get off my lawn, I feel like it. Mm-hmm. But other days, I feel younger than that. The real
1: question like... is if a shotgun's included. or So are you, are you at the hose or shotgun level or are you just yelling?
0: I'm just at the yelling level okay, yet. Okay, so I'm in, still young. I'm in New Jersey. We, I don't know if we're allowed to have shotguns. You can use a hose. I need to look into Spray that. Spray them. Yeah, like I a need cat. To- I need to look into shotguns. All right.
1: <laughs> Anyone can request a birthday card from the president at any time for any age. So you
0: mean to tell me that the president has nothing better to do than to sit there and sign a card that some poor intern shoved in his face? We're going
1: to have to cut this, but he's too busy committing genocide. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which one?
1: the current or the future?
0: Because <laughs> I think that could go for either one. It's an
1: American tradition at this point. <laughs> Sorry, we don't commit it. We just fund it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are we? So we're saying we don't like either president. I think we are totally fine with that.
1: Yeah, they're all <laughs> rotten piles of doo-doo. Speaking of doo-doo, <laughs> I think it's time to move on to our next section. <laughs> Love me some doo-doo.
0: <laughs> First off, let's give the FDA its due. <laughs> Speaking of... <laughs> They do serve the greater good. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not about to lump them in with the ranks of other useless federal agency, presidency, presidency. Um, if you're ever <laughs> curious, just hop onto the FDA's website and you can check out their latest uh, active recalls. Right now, we've got some charming salmonella and listeria scares. Oh, and the Glutenati, they've been crafty, slipping some wheat into oat cookies at a well-known East Coast grocery chain.
1: Just like they did to Oreos. Bastards. Alright, so
0: for those who don't know, I have celiac, and Ellie's gluten sensitive. Ellie, do you buy pizza or cookies that is baked in store
1: in their shared place? They don't, there's nowhere even, they don't even have gluten-free options in in stores.
0: So why would somebody assume just because somebody forgot to write wheat onto a bunch of oat cookies that are baked in store with all the other cookies that they're gluten-free? But I digress. This is me just saying people are dumb. Now, we have two entities in the U.S. that are responsible for what goes into our body. The USDA, they take the reins on meat, poultry, and egg products, while the FDA oversees a whopping 80% or more of our food supply. That includes dairy, seafood, produce, packaged food, bottled water, and whole eggs rather than egg products. I don't know why they differentiate, but if it's a whole egg, it's FDA. If it's part of an egg, it's the USDA.
1: So I have a question for you because I've gotten into arguments with friends about this do you consider eggs a dairy product you personally, better say no I do not <laughs> because they're not a dairy product no the the number of people who think eggs are a dairy product because they tend to be put in the dairy section of the store is incredible yeah you're not milking a chicken you're not milking like it's it doesn't it doesn't come from milk <laughs>
0: i just had God. a visual i just had a visual of a chicken being milked and then like eggs coming out of it little chicken nipples <laughs> <laughs> all little tiny eggs <laughs> i told you my mind is a whimsical place because that's I don't... Of the first thing that
1: <laughs> that's how you get the chocolate eggs from easter anna said oh just like the brown cows make chocolate milk i don't know where they get the pink milk from pink i don't want to think about pink cows it. duh no they're milking kirby Oh, and I said albino cows. That makes more sense than Kirby.
0: (laughs) All right, so basically, if it's not mooing, clucking, or part of an egg, it's under the FDA. The FDA also has oversight over fish, except for catfish, because catfish is a considered meat, but the other seafood is not. I I don't know. I don't
1: care. I I don't understand that either. A lot of people don't think fish is meat. It's not a plant or a rock. (laughs) Well, catfish... (laughs) <laughs>
0: Catfish is considered meat, uh, according to the uh, USDA. I don't know why other, fi- or other fish would not be, but moving uh, right, we'll back.
1: Help. I need to know why. <laughs> in, in
0: 2009, a salmonella outbreak turned into a snack time nightmare, infecting 714 people across 46 states. I'm giving you an example of when the FDA did something good. So the illness, which began between September 2008 and March 2009, were linked to nine deaths across five states. Wow. The CDC, local health departments, and the FDA all played detectives together. Turns out, peanut butter did it. It's
1: always the peanut butter. Especially if you're allergic to it. Or it's oh, got then salmonella. Then it's probably not the salmonella. It might just be asphyxiation. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: And now I have a picture of my head of a little, like, Mr. Peanut,
1: holding, (laughs) like, (laughs) choking someone. Oh, it's
0: twisted. All right. Uh, My mind is a twisted and whimsical place. Minnesota health officials pointed finger at King Nuts' creamy peanut butter. They found salmonella in both open and unopened (laughs) container. This peanut butter, however, wasn't your average grocery store find. A, this peanut butter is sold to places like hospitals, schools, and prisons.
1: None oh, of the, the things that we care about in this country is fine.
0: Containers in Connecticut and Michigan were also caught red handed with the same salmonella strain. By January 28, the Peanut Corporation of America, because you can't get any more evil sounding name than Peanut. Peanut Corporation of America, P- PCA for short, makers of Kingnut.
1: Oh, Kingnut uh, sounds like a villain.
0: <laughs> that sounds like something.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> recalled, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> recalled all peanuts and uh, peanut products from their Georgia facility since 2007. This recall snowballed, affecting over 2,800 products across various companies, including Kellogg's Peanut Butter Crackers. It was a colossal peanut predicament.
1: So you want to hear a funny sidebar about this specific recall? My mother-in-law bought a bunch of that we call peanut butter <laughs> that she used to bait <laughs> mousetraps with because she figured if it did the mousetrap <laughs> didn't work, the salmonella would. <laughs> was horrible. What did the mice do to you? She was a very thrifty person, okay?
0: What did the mice do to you?
1: Oh, okay. So the reason that all fish of the order, not going to pronounce it catfish family, are considered (coughs) meat is because the catfish farmers of America pushed for more stringent inspections than the FDA was doing. Okay. (laughs) So that was because. This was in 2008 because nothing else more important was (laughs) happening then. This is true. It was <laughs> yeah. the most mild time in America. There, I mean, compared a- to now, I kind of wish it was 2008, to be honest.
0: 2008, I, I mean, I don't know. There may have been an economic collapse. Maybe there was a. Yeah, just
1: a minor one. No. It was fine. The,
0: the housing just market. Just a tiny bubble, no. just a the, tiny pop. The, the job market, I know I was unemployed in 2008. No? So was oh.
1: I. I mean, I was also. Yeah. I was in like, yeah, you high were. cool.
0: No, school, I, high I was a full grown adult with, with a college degree in Detroit. And then I left Detroit because I couldn't find a job. It's because you weren't making pizzas. That's probably what it was. You made the
1: mistake. Yep.
0: (laughs) How dare I become an engineer? (laughs) All right. Well, in a rare triumph of American bureaucracy over corporate greed, Stuart Parnell, PCA's uh, CEO during the scandal, was found guilty in a 2014 trial of knowingly shipping potentially contaminated peanut butter products just to increase his bottom line. Your grandmother was not included in that lawsuit.
1: My grandmother? What, you said she was baiting all the traps? My mother-in-law. My husband's husband's
0: mother. Ah, well, your mother-in-law was also not included in that trial. (laughs) She got away with it. Well, (laughs) Stuart Parnell here ended up losing way more than just money. He actually was handed a 28-year sentence in the penitentiary, believe it or
1: not. That's didn't the guys at Ford Pinto get no time? I don't know what that is. Oh, uh, the I would, for listeners, Google the Ford Pinto fiasco. They knowingly signed off on some pretty lethal defects in the Ford Pinto.
0: But they people. weren't serving Ford Pintos to children.
1: Well, well there were children in Ford children. Pintos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who cares about them? They weren't the drivers
1: <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> Or, or Anna said, "The producers of oxycodone.
0: Who are they? They're 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 innocent. They did nothing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> All
1: right. Big well, Pharma never gets in trouble.
0: Parnell was big peanut. I guess that's probably why he got in trouble.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what? It's it was it's the nuts.
0: <laughs> Parnell was handed a 28 year sentence. His brother Michael received 20 years, and another executive received five years. That's
1: that's pretty, I mean, I'm here for it and I support it, but that's very harsh for the U.S. for business mistakes, I feel like.
0: Well, the PCA is also no longer in the peanut game anymore.
1: Really? I, I Now I have to do more research on, on other cases like this, because well, I, I feel like this is a, a excessive, abnormally harsh.
0: And I found that too. So I'm like, you know what? He probably appealed on that and got that reduced. That was my first thought.
1: That's, yeah. So
0: I was curious about what became of Stewie the peanut king. Uh, I should probably call him. <laughs> king nut stewie king nut since his sentence in 2015 well don't expect to see him back in a peanut biz any time a 69 year old Stuart parnell for shipping those notorious peanut butter batches won't be seen in the outside world until july 26 2038 when he'll be 84
1: at that point just leave me in what are you supposed to do when you get out of prison <laughs> after 28 years and you've spent he's not gonna have a retirement He's gonna he's just gonna die on the streets
0: <laughs> he's exhausted all appeals and everything's been affirmed and he
1: is wow he is there he's done. hey sometimes the system does its <laughs> job that's pretty incredible
0: that's what i said i found this one example of when the fda succeeded yeah well slow the clock only, for the fda yeah the yeah. only boardroom in uh, stewie's future here the room and board generously provided by the taxpayers he is surveying his time at the high-security federal lockup at Hazleton, West Virginia, that the inmates call Misery Mountain, as in Ooh. being stuck in West Virginia isn't bad enough. Do you know who else spent time in Misery Mountain? Who? Whitey Boulder. So Wow. This isn't is some <laughs> easy penitentiary time. <laughs> no, but, not at all. But now that we've ticked off some FDA victories one, let's dive into the delightful guidebook called the, quote, Food Defect Level Handbook. Now, this is your listener warning. If you would like to remain blissfully ignorant and maintain your culinary innocence, I suggest fast-forwarding to the too-long, didn't-listen segment of our podcast. First up, macaroni, the classic mac and cheese with a side of insects. You heard that right. According to the FDA, macaroni and noodle products only fail inspections if they have, on average, 225 insect fragments or more per 225 grams across six or more subsamples.
1: I mean, that's a fragments, a fragments pretty small. I mean, what are you what are you going to do about that? You know? In plain English,
0: the the FDA here is admitting that we can't totally mix all-food contaminants, so they've decided that in every 225 grams, or about 8 ounces of macaroni, there should be no more than 224 insect fragments. 226 are a big no-no, but 224, perfectly fine. That means your typical 8-ounce box of mac and cheese might have a bit of extra protein for you. Hmm... Moving on to peas. How do you feel about peas, Ellie? I enjoy peas. Well, dry peas and beans listed together in the FDA's whimsical world must have less than an average of 5% insect-infested or insect-damaged kernels to pass the grade. Canned black-eyed peas, they're out if there's an average of five or more cowpea curculio larvae, or their equivalent, per can. that That's a lot of larvae.
1: I'm not... Okay. I... <laughs> I grew up with a with a mother who grew up in places like Ghana. So she's very aware of how precious food is. And I also grew up eating food out of the, out of the garden. So I'm not going to say that I haven't unintentionally but not upsettedly, eaten grubs in the past and been like, oh, there was a grub in that. Well, I guess I'm eating grubs now. <coughs> they're pretty flavorless. Tomato worms taste like tomatoes, which is why I hated tomatoes for a while, because they're same texture, too.
0: I grew up nowhere near farm equipments or agricultural products. I grew up in a city of several million people, but I grew up in a, or during a war, and we didn't always get a chance to go and buy food. So when you had bread and it got green, you didn't eat the green part. You still ate around it, but you didn't eat it. So I, I guess different
1: that's what my, my mom for? was like. You just cut it off, and if the meat doesn't—I disagree with her on this. This is where I draw the line. But she's like, if the meat doesn't look like it's good, you just cook it hot enough to kill what's inside. Like, I think, you know, I think I, I, you know, <laughs> I, think I cut to draw the line there.
0: <laughs> let's move on to mushrooms—the <laughs> very thing that got Mario into a pickle. Deadly forces a mushroom. A pickled mushroom? I, I don't know. Do mushrooms get pickled? Oh, so. totally! You can pickle anything. I don't know. I don't like mushrooms. Well, deadly spores aside, the FDA disqualifies a can of mushroom if it contains more than twenty maggots per one hundred grams of product. To put that it in seems perspective, like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> to put it in perspective, an eight ounce can contains about two hundred and thirty grams.
1: Yeah, that <clears throat> maggot. I guess it depends on the kind of maggot. Maggots are pretty big. <laughs> That's a lot of maggots in a can.
0: And well, they said twenty maggots of any size, but if the maggot, I, I think it's at like more than five millimeters, then it you can only have five of them. So I don't. Well, know yeah,
1: that's. I mean, that's a. <laughs> that's a I, that's a big one.
0: <laughs> I, I'm gonna stick to if you eat around it, you stick away from stuff that's. I don't want my foot to move.
1: <laughs> yes, if I'm gonna, it, it needs to be dead. I
0: <laughs> gotta right, well, steam
1: the maggots first. You know, if they've been canned, though, they probably are dead.
0: (laughs) I don't want to think about that. Canned peaches, they're only problematic if the average mold count hits 20% or more. As for popcorn, thankfully, even a single rodent dropping is a deal breaker. So while mushrooms and peaches are off my menu, popcorn seemed safe. Until so I learned that as long as it has less than 20 nod grains per pound, it'll pass inspections. And just when you think it couldn't get worse, wheat is allowed up to eight milligrams of rodent poo per kilogram. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about rodent poo in my wheat. Yeah,
1: rodents are pretty gross. I mean, I know there's nothing we can really do about it. They're going to be attracted to places that produce food. So we're kind of, I mean, obviously we're all fine. I mean, I'm more worried about the microplastics, to be honest. Well, you know what?
0: I don't eat wheat. You don't eat wheat, so we're safe. No coup, right? We were seeing the little bugs that get him rice. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I hit on something Ellie likes, so let's talk about something I like. I fig love figs. Mm. But I might just take a break from fig jam and paste for a while, or at least this, uh, until this episode fades from memory. Why? because the FDA allows no more than 12 insect heads per 100 grams of fig paste.
1: Odd, specifically insect heads. (laughs) Bodies are fine, just the
0: (laughs) head. 100 grams is roughly the size of a deck of cards. The funny but not funny reason is it's not really a health concern, but more of an aesthetic one. Apparently, insect heads are offensive to the senses. You know what's offensive to me? Where are the rest of the insect bodies? Is this another notch in Clinton's body count? Killary, where are you hiding the insect bodies?
1: Probably on Epstein's Island. I don't know, I just couldn't resist.
0: All right, enough of that. I can see you're as grossed out as I am, but here's something to really get your blood boiling.
1: I'm not that grossed out.
0: Well, you know what? You, you grew up on a farm. I'm a city girl. <laughs> While other nations uh, are banning certain substances, the good old U.S. of A. has deemed many products as GRAS, generally regarded as safe. Titanium dioxide, it for example. doesn't
1: sound super confident. Like they are not like yeah you're good. They're like it's <laughs> if if I ask a doctor, he's giving me, me a medication, and I'm like, is this is this safe? Are there bad side effects? they like, oh, eh, generally sometimes. considered safe. Like <laughs> not a lot of confidence behind that statement. Don't love it.
0: <laughs> well, titanium dioxide, for example, is found in over three thousand products. European regulators declared it unsafe for human consumptions due to toxicity concerns immunotoxicity, inflammation, and neurotoxicity, but it's still A-OK in the good old U.S. of A. Now, the FDA deems parabens as GRAS for use as antimicrobial preservatives in foods. Europe and Japan, however, banned them in 2006 due to concerns about fertility and endocrine disruption.
1: I'm just going to put it this way. If you're putting something on my food that makes it so mold and bugs don't want to eat it, I probably shouldn't be eating it, (laughs) red flag. Sounds fair,
0: sounds fair. Yep. Now let's talk about food dyes, red 40, yellow five and yellow six. Those three make up a whopping 90% of dyes used in foods. Now in the EU, these colorful culprits require warning labels detailing their potential risks with research suggesting they might worsen attentional issues in children. Now, a lot of websites out there that state American foods that are banned in other parts of the world, they claim that Norway bans some of these dyes, making American favorites like Twinkies forbidden fruit.
1: But I really... <laughs> I'm just seeing the Garden of Eden and Eve is Twinkies. <laughs> reaching over a Twinkie off the tree.
0: Twinkies, ho-hos, and ding-dongs. <laughs> But I really couldn't find any official Norwegian confirmation, like an official Norwegian database that says those three dyes are banned. So I turned to Reddit for some detective work. And really. uh, voila, Lord Tema emerges as the hero. He dug up Norway's regulations on food additives. He, he spoke Norwegian and was able to Google Norwegian. So hmm. turns out that all of these lists are wrong and just regurgitate other lists. Twinkies and food coloring have not been exiled from Norway. Maybe they've been 20 years ago, uh, but they need to have a warning label just like every other EU country. Despite my diligent efforts, I'm still waiting for a job offer or residency offer in Norway, even if it means bidding a tearful farewell to many American goodies.
1: Goodies. I I am curious. So I have another celiac friend, and I don't know if you've experienced this with your with your travels abroad, but I have a friend who was diagnosed celiac and she can eat bread and drink beer in Germany with no side effects. I
0: have not tried that. Scared. I don't know I get it. if I would try it because my doctor would yell at me and she's very scary. I'm more scared of my doctor. All right, but you know what? I haven't even started talking about the beetles that we crush for food coloring or the wood pulp added for that extra fiber. And I think I've done enough damage to your snack time favorites. Listeners, I'm not here to police your diet. You're an adult capable of making informed choices. And what I want for you is to make an educated decision. Is organic the way to go for you? Are any additives okay? Exactly how many insects head, insect heads are too many? We just want you to be an informed consumer.
1: I want to tie back real fast to class microplastics because Anna shared something and then I also want to share something I read in an article. So Anna shared that closely following new research from Consumer Reports Lab that found microplastics from five millimeters to one micrometer in size in 84 out of 85 foods tested. Plastics seem to have infiltrated the human food chain to an even greater degree than previously understood. And I just read an article. It was on MSN. The average person consumes a credit card's worth of microscopic plastic particles every week. That seems excessive. Not surprising, though. You think about people use plastic cutting boards, plastic water bottles, our foods in plastic packaging. All of that wears off.
0: Mm, plastic. Mm. Maybe it'll keep us alive longer. I I don't know. We'll have to ask our dead listeners if they've had plastic in their lifetime or not. All right, British dead listeners. Let us know. Long didn't listen. In summary, the FDA really dropped the ball, leading a small business owner to bury around 30,000 pizzas in a last-ditch effort to save his business. Sadly, it was a no-go for recovery. Despite his mushrooms being botulism-free, he ended up suing the canning company for those dubious cans that sparked the recall. His pizza empire may have crumbled, but he achieved his dream of retiring in sunny San Diego, trading pizzas for perpetual sunshine his journey from rags to riches, his goose pimply love for America, inspired by the kindness of of strangers, is a tale to remember. Pizza funerals and kindness to strangers aside, we also tipped our hat to the FDA for that one time they got it right. And then finally, we plunged into appetizing food facts that you'd probably rather forget. But I want to thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this culinary odyssey and being an integral part of our podcast family. As we lay to rest another episode packed with pizza trivia and tales, we invite you to keep the spear alive by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing. Your support is the cheese to our pizza and the sauce to our dough. If you've savored every slice of our storytelling, please consider leaving us a glowing five-star review. It helps us a lot more than you know in keeping this pizza party rolling. Until next time, keep those ovens hot and your earbuds ready.
1: Don't forget to find us online at Oh the God Pod on all the social media platforms and if you're interested in supporting our mission subscribe on Patreon.